When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Remembering Kobe Bryant. I mean, this is just shocking news for all of us. And sorry, I don't have a lot to say. Uh, I just can't uh, have to go talk to a team. Uh, before a game and tell them to play. <laughs> but I wanted to ask you about Kobe Bryant. You said you never met him, but you felt like he was a part of your family. Right. You know, that's a, that's a legend, man. And he did so much for the game of basketball. A lot of people looked up to Kobe Bryant, you know, um, including myself. You know, um, he, he's a great player. And from what I heard, you know, he was a great person as well. So my heart's in prayers with his family. That was Lamar Jackson there. Welcome into Purple Daily. Uh, We will get into lots of football stuff. Sage Rosenfels is in Miami. And uh, another gray, snowy day here, Sage. So I'm very jealous of you for being in Miami. How are you? I I, I see some clouds as I look out over the intercoastal here. hard. Off this balcony in my buddy's apartment. Uh, But there are some clouds. I'll report that. But it's supposed to be sunny the rest of the week. So oh, good. Well, we'll thank see goodness. how it goes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, there's Sage in Miami, and uh, we're going to talk about a lot of things, including some breaking news in the NFL pertaining to a quarterback situation. I think, though, Sage, because you are a former pro athlete and you spend so much time around pro athletes and you teach younger kids how to play quarterback and all these things, that when an athlete of Kobe Bryant's icon passes away the way he did. I would imagine that that impacts everyone who played sports at a high level just because of uh, the, the, the the air that he reached was so unique. And to be taken away at 41 years old, especially with his 13-year-old daughter, um, took all of us by complete surprise. So I, I would like to have your reaction. Well, I think for me, I, I think just like every like every hour yesterday as the day went on and I, I was home with the kids and um, and then, you know, this morning waking up and traveling down here and like as time progresses and then you read another article, then you read another article, then you see an interview and just like more and more things sort of keep hitting me, I guess, about it. And, and you know, probably when it happened, like you, 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 the first thing is immediately think of like, I can't believe that happened. But then 
over time, you start more and more things, I guess, you know, start to hit you emotionally. Uh, and then just thinking about various things with the whole situation and, and you know, Kobe himself. And I had so many friends, so many teammates. You know, when you, when you play in the NFL, you have a lot of guys from Florida. You have a lot of guys from Texas, a lot of guys from California. Of course, you have... You know, players, you know, Ohio and, and whatever, but so many guys from California. And Kobe Bryant for them was the Michael Jordan for a lot of the Midwestern kids mm-hmm. uh, and LeBron for a lot of the kids from Ohio and, and other places. D. Wade in, in Miami. I mean, he was sort of the icon of this generation of kids who grew up, you know, watching basketball for the last you know, twenty or, or or whatever years. I mean, it was it was Kobe's team. Even even when Shaq was there, it was really Kobe's team. We all know that, right? And that, and that's you know, Shaq's one of the great players of all time, and that you know s- sort of says a lot about who he was, at least as far as a basketball player and his ownership of of sort of being the guy in that organization for such a long time. What's been interesting for me is. Um, I remember my brother. My brother liked Kobe Bryant. Uh, this is a long time ago. You know, he's four or five years in the league, and I remember saying to him, "You know, I'm not sure if I'm a big Kobe fan. <laughs> you know, I he seems a little fake to me. Didn't seem all that authentic. And and you know, I, I I grew up watching Jordan and you know Kevin Garnett and you know those guys just seem to have a little something different. And my brother goes, I mean. Do you think he's had a normal life? I mean, this is this is not a normal situation where the yeah. kid grew up in a small town in the Midwest or or in an urban area in a city. His dad was an NBA player. He grew up a lot in Europe. Yeah. I mean, he a lot in Italy. Uh, is his dad been playing professionally over there? Then he comes to the United States and, and he's and he's lived in Philadelphia. That's where he went to high school. Uh, and then he gets drafted by the Los Angeles Lakers, which, you know, L.A. is not the most, you know, authentic city <laughs> in the country, right? Uh, much no, less than now the Lakers. Right? <laughs> so so how could he be normal, right, Of, yeah. I guess, of how I was not connecting with him? But as his career went, I felt like I started to like him more and more and more. And then really at the more at the end of his career, because he just kept grinding like he was a rookie still trying to make it. or It, it almost seemed like he was probably working out harder at the end than maybe he even did at the beginning. And then since retirement, I've really grown to really like his interviews and the way he has made that transition from being a player and, and you know, trying to sort of prove that, you know, I'm not just a basketball player. I'm a lot of other things, in, in particular being, of course, a father uh, to those daughters. And, and I have two daughters myself. So uh, it really, and since his retirement, for me, every time I've seen him, be, see him interviewed, he really just seemed at peace. He seemed like he was motivated to accomplish other things. That it seemed very, very real. And you don't see that a lot with guys who you know played for a long time. Their whole lives are wrapped up in the identity of I'm this great basketball player. Yeah. And it seemed like with him, he really did a great job uh, of making that transition um, to, to what to what's next. And um, so, yeah, all those things are sort of coming to my to my head as I think about him. Uh, obviously, he's a great player. I always loved the. There's all these videos out there, but you know, of course, we was playing in highlight reels. But the one where basically they show a Jordan clip, then they show a Kobe yes. clip. Yeah, it's incredible. And I always liked that one where there's you know because I grew up Jordan with the fadeaway and the spin move, mm-hmm. and of course the dunks and things. And like Kobe was like the, the exact did the exact same stuff. You know, it seemed like, and had similar body types and. 
and uh, he he was a lot of fun to watch. And I think you know everybody, even if you didn't really care about basketball that much, people saw clips of that his last game uh, when he just I don't know what did he shoot like sixty shots or something? Yeah, and scored sixty points. Yeah, sixty points, and and everyone was rooting for him, and and uh, yeah, that that was a lot of fun to watch. So yeah, it just. Just a, just a, uh, it is shocking. It's just completely shocking. I, I don't think anyone's it really hasn't hit home. To we, we haven't had a situation like that. Somebody, uh, maybe you can think of somebody, but somebody just after their playing career, a couple years out, um, you know, Hall of Fame, first belt Hall of Fame type scenario, but then in such a, a strange way. Uh, for him to pass away, you know, Junior Seau passed away. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think four years, uh, three or four years after um, he got done playing, and, and that got, that's the closest one. But I mean, a helicopter crash, you know, with his with his daughter in in the helicopter with seven other people. I mean, just you can't even begin to try to think that's even possible, um, and, and how that all happened. And they're flying to this you know facility that he is, he has built. With it, you know the Mamba name on it um, that he is for developing young players in Los Angeles to be basketball players. Right. I mean, he had made so many right moves in his life and uh, and done so many you know good things. And I think was the the real bummer is that he I felt like he was gonna do so many great things. Yeah, no, you know what I mean in, yes. the, in the post career life. And some you know Jordan Jordan just it seems to me is mostly about making money, right? Like that's <laughs> you're right. Yeah. Right, that's his. You know, he wants to make as much money as possible. He, you know, that's sort of what he sticks to, and and that's his deal. I felt like Kobe was really in a LeBron type of way was going to try to have real impact on America, real impact on Los Angeles, uh, you know, probably Philadelphia where he went to high school. I felt like that. That's a real bummer that all those you know types of things have, were sort of taken away. Yeah, I think that's perfectly stated and my thoughts are similar that you know throughout the time where he was at the center of the basketball universe i do think that he in his attempt to be michael jordan and and to handle that sort of spotlight that he definitely made mistakes for sure and the whole thing of i'm going to be this over the top competitor which is admirable and appreciated but also it goes along with I, th- I think losing perspective of where you are in the world right of just like who you are and how you're treating people and and the impact that those things make i, I think that that was a trouble that he ran into that he made up for as he went along and not that you can entirely make up for some of the things that kobe was involved with uh, in any way but in terms of changing who you are to impact younger basketball players, to impact the WNBA, and to coach his daughter, and to be present, and and to push her dreams as if they're the most important thing in his world, I, I think is maybe not what you would have expected at a certain time of Kobe Bryant's career. Like, as you mentioned, it felt like he was a very sort of self-centered type of person, and that you would not have expected what he became at 41 and i totally agree that one of the biggest tragedies about the entire thing is that we don't know what he and his daughter would have been able to accomplish because it appeared to be sky is the limit with his post career that maybe his post career accomplishments would have been better than what he did on the floor well that's the thing is you know when you're a basketball player you know you know you're really just entertaining people and you're inspiring people through that but 
when you're done playing basketball, you're done playing sports, now you actually have real time. And, of course, you have, like, unlimited resources, unlimited connections to all the media people. I mean, who knows what he could have accomplished to, to really affect people, of not just inspiring people, but actually, you know, affecting people in, in, in all sorts of various ways. So, you know, he um, you know, s- sort of had a... Uh, a second chance at life, I guess, and just really seemed to be, you know, ha- had the wake-up call and really seemed to be making the most of it. Um, and uh, but it's, it's 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 all gone. It's all gone, and it's not that whatever. I don't, I don't, you know, who knows what's going to happen? It really is amazing. All the media people, you know, and uh, whether it's Los Angeles or New York, those are sort of the media capitals of, of the United States. All the media people that knew him, of course, mm-hmm. all the ESPN and Sports Center people, but you know, even NFL people, guys like Rich Eisen, and you know, if you follow people on social media, you know, people like Justin Timberlake, who you know, they were, I guess, friends. I mean, I mean, I'm sure he was friends with a ton of Hollywood people. You know, he he really uh, had ability to connect with a lot of people, and, and people seem to really, everyone had these great stories mm-hmm. that, of course, don't come out after you pass away, but you just, you know, the last couple, what, 24, 24 hours now or so, just a story after story after story of all the uh, just various scenarios that people, you know, saw him and met him and interviewed him, and, you know, I heard a great story of him and Tracy McGrady, who have daughters who are playing against each other, I think, in some game, and there's Tracy McGrady, uh, and, and and Kobe Bryant sitting in the stands of like a seventh grade basketball game last year or something <laughs> like that, you know, talking about their daughters. Yeah, that was the whole thing. Is they like they weren't talking about their careers; they're talking about their daughters and women's basketball. And and he was, I would regularly see him promoting women's basketball, uh, you know, WNBA stuff. And and I, I thought that you know he was going to be. You know, from from being a male in the NBA, he was going to be one of those great players that was going to really try to help that league yes. uh, bring it to another level. Because I think you know, partly because his daughters, uh, you know, he's is hoping to obviously you know play at that level. Yeah, and we asked Jim Peterson on Score North Live last hour about what his takeaway is. Like when you deal with a tragedy after the initial shock, you start to look around and say, "What can I learn from this? What can I take away?" And Jim Peterson said, "Go buy Lynx tickets." <laughs> support the WNBA and women's basketball the same way that Kobe Bryant was and try to follow along with what he was aiming to help accomplish for that league and for eventually, I think, his daughter, based on her skill set and her DNA, probably would have had a good chance at being a really great you know, WNBA player at some point. And I have a lot of respect for how he helped to put that league on the map and how he worked with women's college players, Jewel Lloyd when she was at college at Notre Dame, Sabrina Anescu, who's going to be the number one overall pick next year, and even here in Minnesota, Rachel Bannum, when she was lighting it up like crazy as a gopher, and she uh, would be in contact with Kobe Bryant. And like you said, it is amazing. And another takeaway is that Kobe seemed to find time to help everyone. That uh, even James Conner, the running back from the Steelers, tweeted about meeting with Kobe about the Mamba mentality. <laughs> like what? Yeah, He's just you know, random guys who you wouldn't see any sort of real connection there, but people who just reached out to him and he found a way to help them. And in a way, I felt like 
what he was trying to do was to make a wrong right. Because a lot of times during his career, I don't get the sense that he treated people all that well who were even on his team. And because of that, I wasn't a huge fan of him either, just like you said. Um, but you know, in his post-career, I think a lot of the, the things that we learned about him were very admirable. And that's one to me that to take away is that when someone else needs help from you, to find the time, because if Kobe Bryant ha- can find the time for the hundreds and hundreds of people who know him and want to reach out to him, I think we can too. Yeah, I mean, he could be one of those guys that he's got, I don't know, hundreds of millions of dollars right in the bank. He could have just played golf. Mm-hmm. He could just done whatever he wanted, just take vacations, you know, uh, just lock himself in his mansion and have people wait on him all day. But it didn't seem like it seemed like everything he was doing was then. To serve others. And my brother made this comment to me one time about, you know, you really you only have your time and your resources, you know, when you're on this planet. And what do you do with your time? What do you do with your resources that are not just serving you, but are serving the people around you or serving people that you don't even know? How are you going to serve others while you're on this planet? It felt like to me in his post-career he was doing a lot of that, serving other people, helping other people. You know, the Mamba mentality of it, it, it's real work. Like, to be great at something, you have to really work at it. And you still may not be great at it because you just don't have whatever natural talent. But to try to be great at something is that's where you, you, know, you there, it's it's respectful to grind at something. And we, yeah. you and I joke around about grinding the tape, you know. But like, <laughs> yes. I could sit there and watch tape. And just sort of take some notes and wait for the the main plays, or do you really sit there and pick apart the details and mm-hmm. see? You know, the right guard took a really bad step on this play, which caused the sack, and he should have done this. But the quarterback could, you know, you really have to get into the details, and that just takes time. It takes effort. And, and when Kobe was trying to be the greatest basketball player ever, uh, he was putting in the time and the effort, and it's just legendary. That you know he would spend five hours or so shooting in a gym in the off season. Yeah. I mean, he really put in that time. And in a day and age where people are all about instant gratification, and I want this, and I can I can order something and it's at my house in, in 24 hours, or I want this to happen, and I should be good at this right now. There's an aspect of the process of working and working and working and whatever happens down the line happens but you have to put the work in to even have a chance to be great kobe bryant definitely did that yeah and in a lot of ways he put that so much out there like it it was very visible and part of that's just because of the media world we live in now Um, but it was very visible how much he put in how much effort and work and dedication he put in behind the scenes that you know so often with basketball players or athletes in general will just say oh the guy's a freak and then that's just you know he was just this good or whatever and you don't see all the things that go into it and that's you know someone like Daniil Hunter who has these crazy long arms and muscles that are bigger than my head and everything but you know he puts in so much work and and that's what these guys I think talk about with the mamba mentality is uh, how much they watched him put in that type of effort and make it very clear that this is a 24-7 type of thing to achieve greatness. And a lot of people who are pro athletes now were inspired and followed in those footsteps. So I think that with his impact, it goes far beyond he won some championships. I think that the influence on so many athletes now is also a major part of his legacy. Well, one of the issues the Lakers, I think, struggled at the end of his career was that he was, you know, still sort of the guy, 
but a lot they had all these young guys on those teams, and it's it seemed like they did not have the Mamba mentality. You mm-hmm. know, they weren't yeah. they yeah, weren't yeah. grinding. They're hey, I'm 22 years old. I'm you know. I'm the point guard, or I'm the whatever for the Los Angeles Lakers in Hollywood. You know, life is good, and, and then here's the 34, 35 year old guy over there. You know, still putting up thousands of shots after practice, right? Yeah. And, yep. And 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 Kobe's didn't have the the physical ability to carry the team anymore, and it seemed like the team didn't have almost the mental ability to match Kobe's work ethic, and of course. They're not going along. You're not going to get along with you know. That's not going to work out very well from a team standpoint. And, right. And uh, listen, the, the best leaders are the ones that do, and watch others, and the, and the other people have to watch them do it. And go, okay, that's what you have to do to be great at something. And I think about that with my own kids. You know, I can tell my kids, you should do this, you should do this. But if I don't just do that myself, and then have them at least see it, to to know either how to do it or what you have to do. Um, you know, I think it just goes over a lot better that way. The leader of the household, the leader of the team, whatever it might be, you have to be the one actually putting in the work yourself for the younger people to actually see you do it, and then they try to match that as they get older. So I had uh, one more question for you, and then we can get into some breaking NFL news and get on to you watch some of the Senior Bowl, which I'm very proud of you for doing that. And uh, also we'll talk to uh, Austin Gale from Pro Football Focus a little later in the show in the 3 o'clock hour about the Senior Bowl quarterbacks, and we'll start to sort of move on um, as best we can. But you had a very sweet tweet last night about dealing with the shock of what happened with Kobe and his daughter and taking your daughter to play putt-putt golf. And so I just wanted to know if you won. Did you did you beat, the did you beat your daughter at putt-putt golf? I don't think I took score. I think we just played. That, is, that, is that okay to do mm. in your world? What kind of competitor are you? Where's, your, where's uh, the Mamba mentality? I, I was that? not. There was no Mamba mentality <laughs> yesterday. I was, uh, and I, it, it was legit. You know, I'm, I'm sitting there watching uh, all these news reports and and uh, i was doing some computer work and then that came on uh my my youngest daughter lola she was still bouncing around the house doing various things she'd had a sleep overnight before so she was a little sleepy too so she sort of napped on the couch up you know yada my other two teenagers you know you know they're sleeping on a sunday afternoon right so i walk up you know they're 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 both uh passed out so i'm like well you can sit around here and feel terrible about the kobe news mm-hmm. or you know try to maximize my time with my kids uh, and maximize my time with my daughter. So up we went over to the putt-putt course, and she really did play like probably the best round I've ever seen her play. She hit some uh, uh, incredible shots that I was like, I can't believe you, you made that one. So, yeah, you know, enjoy your time with the people that you love. And, uh, you know, a lot of people have to work a lot, and a lot of people have to do this a lot. And uh, But the time that you do have with your kids, with your parents. You know, my parents are in their 70s, and I try to really make the most of each conversation I have with them uh, every single day, tell them I love them when I when I get off the phone. You know, really have to make the most of it because we just don't know, uh, you know, when the end comes. All right. Well, it's been tough. It's It's been tough for everyone, and I've seen a lot of people tweet, like, why am I taking this so hard? And, you know, I think it's because we all – saw his entire life and felt like to some extent we knew him and we could relate to some part of it or we cheered against him or or whatever it might be but um a figure of of that size uh, we're all going to have some sort of connection to it in the way that it happened just out of complete nowhere 
blindsided everybody. So if you feel terrible today, which everybody in the office that I've talked to, I think still feels awful today. Um, that's understandable. Don't feel bad about that. Uh, okay. Let's just move on here back to football because it is a football show. And we're going to do that for the next uh, hour and a half here. Zolgad will be in at three thirty. Jay Glazer says the chargers are done with Philip rivers. Sage reaction. That's not surprising. I think that organization, it's time for them to move on. Um, you know, unlike the Giants, the Giants had two Super Bowls, but both franchises, really, other than those two Super Bowls, had, had, had probably more failed seasons than successful seasons. And I think that, yes, yeah, it's, it's time for him to move on, time for that organization to start over. Will Phillip Rivers play for somebody else? That's a good question. I actually can see that. I mean, they he has already moved his family back to Florida. I'm not sure if you knew that. Uh, but I believe him and his wife are both from the southeast and have and have family in Florida. How close so they've to already, Tampa Bay? N- they I, might I think have a quarterback opening. Nothing's that far from Florida, and if it, <laughs> uh, from Tampa Bay and Florida, really, true, right? Everything's yeah. four hours from there. So um, they've already, yeah, they've already, you know, there's no reason to live in San Diego anymore. This team wasn't even there, so they didn't want to move to Los Angeles. It was you have eight kids or nine kids or something like that. Uh, so they're yeah moving. They've moved to Florida. Uh, but, you know, yeah, I can see him playing in Tampa. I mean, Miami probably d- needs a quarterback, right, or whatever. I mean, who knows? He, he, might, be that, he might be that coach or that, that quarterback that you uh, have for one year, and then you draft somebody, and then you, you have them sit behind Phillip Rivers for one season and then, you know, move on from there. But, uh, you know, I guess we'll have to see. Uh, you know, I, I, I saw a little report earlier that, you know, Joe Montana had – sort of said to Tom Brady, like, you know, don't go to another team, stay with your same team. I don't know if he has any... Re- what? The Montana years in KC are great. I know, but I think he was offered... Well, he didn't choose to leave San Francisco, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. He got cut. Right. That's when he got to realize, like, the NFL is not fair to anybody. Joe Montana got cut, right? Uh, or got released uh, from San Francisco. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I it's, it's hard for me to see Rivers playing for another football team. It's hard for me to see... Uh, uh, Tom Brady playing for another football team. I could not imagine Drew Brees not signing back with the Saints. He's a free agent also. This is like the wildest offseason of veteran quarterbacks uh, that I've, I think I've ever seen. It's just rare that you have you know, guys who have been great players, been to Pro Bowls, be free agents, but this year there's a whole bunch of them. A lot of the guys are these old guys, and the question is, you know, do they go back to their team they've been on for a long, long time, or or do they, you know, f- find something new? So not surprising to me that uh, the L.A. Chargers uh, are, are moving on from Phillip Rivers. That doesn't surprise me at all. Let's take a little stab when we come back at where some of these quarterbacks will land and who will be playing quarterbacks, uh, quarterback for the different teams, and then talk about the QBs in the Senior Bowl, because why not? You watched it, and uh, your guy from Washington State had, pretty, hey, hey, hey. had a pretty good game the other day. And, Anthony uh, Gordon, yeah. Some, some interesting pro football-focused stats on Anthony. Gordon as well, but I also want to talk about Jalen Hurts because I've discovered that there are wide ranges of opinions on Jalen Hurts and he might fall right in that hot zone for the Vikings of you don't have to spend a first round pick, but you might be able to get a good player. Let's talk more about that when we return Sage Rosenfels from Miami, Matthew Collar here on Purple Daily. Hey there, it's Phil Mackey for Federated Mutual Insurance Company and Federated is here to give business owners out there peace of mind. You pour your life and energy into a business and the last thing you want is for something to happen that puts you on the defense and that's where Federated comes in. 
based in Owatonna, Minnesota, over a century of experience in standing behind business owners. If you're a business owner and you want some more peace of mind, go to federatedinsurance.com to find out more about your local federated marketing representative. Federated Insurance, it's their business to protect yours. Jonathan here with the Score North download. We'll get you back to Purple Daily in just a moment, but obviously the story of the day has been the tragic death of Kobe Bryant and eight others, including his 13-year-old daughter, Gianna, yesterday. The Wolves, who are set to host the Kings tonight at Target Center, had shoot-around this morning. Here's what Kat had to say about the legacy of Kobe Bryant. His legacy will be felt because of all of us who make, you know, Kobe did the one thing that we all, all of us as athletes hope our legacy does, and that makes you feel. And he made us all feel a certain way when he was on the court, when his presence was in the room or in the building or in the state, you know, his presence, he made you feel. And um, I think that's where his legacy is going to be remembered, just because he made us all feel uh, that anything was possible and that any injury, anything that life handed to us was just an obstacle and a challenge that we needed to conquer. And, uh, you know, I, I feel that, you know, the impact he's made in so many of our lives from my generation and next generation to generations before me is going to uh, is why he's going to be uh, living forever as a legend. That's been your Score North download. Now back to Purple Daily. Thank you, Jonathan. Matthew Collar and Sage Rosenfels here on Purple Daily. And uh, from 4 to 6 with Mackie and Judd with Rami, it will be a lot more talk about Kobe Bryant, his legacy, and the helicopter accident that killed he and his daughter. And details are coming out about what actually happened. And the best I could do for you is it is what you think. It was just pilot error and it was foggy and there was just a mistake. And that's all it takes um, with a helicopter, I guess. So that's kind of the latest that has come out with Kobe Bryant is that there was nothing nefarious or anything like that. It was just a pilot mistake. And that uh, cost Kobe and his 13 year old daughter and seven other people um, their lives. So, uh, Sage, let's just talk some football here to move move well, past can I, it. Can I say something really, really yeah, quick go off, ahead. off that? Uh, from what Kat was saying, you know, when you're on this planet, you, you have a chance to affect people. You have a chance to, you know, every person you talk to on the street or when you're checking out your groceries or whatever it might be, you, you impact people with every you know, every person you end up walking past or coming across. And, you know, when you're no longer, you know, alive, you know, the way you impacted people does have a sort of transformative effect on, mm-hmm. you know, future generations. You teach somebody how to do something, they teach somebody else and on and on and on. And I do think, you know, Kobe will have a legacy that he impacted so many people and then that will, you know, affect uh, people long, long time down the lines. I mean, I'm I'm looking at the future going. I I, I bet it had effect on a lot of these guys who are you know 23 years old, 25 years old. You know maybe they have kids, maybe they don't. But you, I sort of can't. For me, I sort of can't get over the whole thing with Kobe and his daughter. Yeah. And I think it's going to impact a lot of people uh, going forward. You know, in particular in the NBA and pro sports, everybody saw how special that was that relationship was and and where it was going and how important I think that relationship was for Kobe just as much as it was obviously for his daughter. And I think 
um, that will be a part of the Kobe Bryant legacy that I think will have effect for you know all these the, this generation of people who have watched him play and for those guys who competed against him. Yeah, I, I agree. And uh, if you missed it on Score North Live, Jim Peterson was on with us and talking about Kobe's legacy. In part, will be his support for his daughter in, in women's basketball and treating her dream no differently than he would if it was a boy trying to be an NBA player. And like you said, building the facility and becoming her coach and, and all those things that if you're trying to take something away, basketball accomplishments kind of fade, and his were great, but that's how it works is we just go on to the next great player and we move forward and more people win championships and such. Um, but in terms of actually impacting maybe the way that people view their daughter's dreams or view women's sports or the WNBA, I mean, that's a, it's a good place to start with Kobe Bryant or just the, the fact that he was always willing to take time to help other people in sports, um, we can all do the same thing. So uh, I think those are definitely things that you can take away from this in the long term, the things that should rest with you um, about Kobe Bryant's far, far too early death. So, unfortunately, we we just move on um, because I know we could just keep talking about this forever. But could, you wanted to talk about was it the Senior Bowl or was it the free agents, NFL free agents, quarterback free agents? Well, Is that what you want to talk about both. So you watched the Senior Bowl, you grinded the tape, so to speak. I I, I I'm not gonna lie to you, I didn't grind the tape. I watched <laughs> parts of the Senior Bowl. I was I watched uh, the um, the Justin Herbert. Uh-huh. I saw him play. I did not have a chance to see the the, the Utah State quarterback. Uh, his love is his last name. Yeah, I did Jordan not love, see yeah. him play. People really like him. It sounds like he's a very good athlete. That he can be one of those guys that's got the arm and but also can you know sort of run around and and, and avoid the the pass rush and, and create some offense when when it's not there. But I have not seen him play yet. That is in my plans in the future. Um, we have I plenty of see, time before the draft. I we'll saw my there. guy. I did see um, Jalen Hurts. We'll get to him in a second. And, of course, I watched uh, Anthony Gordon, uh, the quarterback that I got to work with for five days in Colorado. He's a Washington State kid, you know, Mike Leach air raid offense. He, I don't know what his exact numbers were, but he had five drives. They scored four touchdowns, and he threw two touchdowns. So I was very happy with that. Uh, this is a coming from a kid. Yeah, I realize he is about 6'2", 200 pounds. He's small. I mean, he's he is small NFL, uh, uh, you know, the average NFL quarterback as mm-hmm. far as his weight. You know, I don't think Mike Leach was big into, like, the you know, the quarterback needs to be a Tim Tebow type, right? It was uh, he wanted a second baseman, basically. So, um, but that offense that he was in in college – he threw 689 passes his senior year in college. <laughs> for 5,500 yards, I think, right? Uh, I, mean, I started wild. for two years at Iowa State, and I, and I played a little bit here and there, spot, you know, and, and my, sophomore, my freshman, sophomore year. I didn't throw 689 career passes <laughs> at Iowa State. Uh, he threw 48 touchdown passes. He did throw 16 interceptions, and I'm sort of like, yeah, but he threw 689 passes. Right. You know, you, Interception you percentage all, isn't bad. Yeah, the interception percentage is not bad. And when the team knows you're going to pass, it's your better chance of throwing interceptions. But their offense was so different than the NFL. And this is where I, I feel proud that I got to have a chance to work with this kid. You know, their, one of their main plays, which basically the, 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 
the, the two by two formation. The slot guys run in seams, and the outside guys, if it's bump coverage, they run go routes. If it's cover two, they run a go route. They convert it. But if it's off, you know, soft corner, they turn it into like a. a a turn back or a comeback or something like that, right? So, you know, pretty common NFL type of play. All mm-hmm. go a lot. You know, teams call it. You know, it's called Ohio or Alley. You know, all these it's, uh, words people try to use, but it's all go basically. And if they're soft on the outside, those guys run comebacks. They called that a ninety six. All right, that was the entire play call. That was the <laughs> that was the formation. That was obviously no motion. That was the protection. That was the pass pattern. A ninety six. Uh, in the in in the West Coast, you know that would be at the minimum gun double right two jet algo halfback option. You know, there's just so much more verbiage. Catch right? that, Jonathan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so I'm writing it down. So you know, and and you know, protections wasn't a thing they talked about a lot. You know, um, and, and you know, all the he did he did not know what an over or an under front is. Mm-hmm. Now, as a quarterback that walks up to the line, I should say at pretty much anybody that walks up to the line of scrimmage. When defenses are in a four-man front, all right, which are more often than not teams probably play a four-three defense, they are generally in an over front or an under front. It's one of the two. It's basically which way is the inside guys shifted strong? Is the nose tackle to the strong side of the uh, center or is it the weak side? Basically, right. Mm-hmm. So even oh, it's a super basic thing. He had no idea what that was. <laughs> yeah, all right, this is a yeah, guy it's, that's it's about a- to go for the biggest. Uh, you know, job, uh, uh, you know, resume builder, whatever of, you know, of his life. Um, um, and he didn't know some of the basic things. Hadn't been under center since his sophomore year in high school. They took the victory formation when they, they, they shotgunned that. They shotgun when they'd spike, they'd really? spike the it down. Really? The victory formation? They would have yes. a shotgun? That's incredible. Yeah. So this is a great argument, and we have more breaking news I have to get to in a second, but this is a great argument for drafting a quarterback and having them sit for a year. I'm just saying. Uh, the Vikings have made it official that Gary Kubiak is the offensive coordinator. What what a time to be Sage Rosenfels. So your former head coach is now the offensive coordinator of the Vikings. All your other coaches are working for San Francisco, including Kyle Shanahan. And and Matt LaFleur was in the NFC Championship, and that was another coach of yours. Um, this was something that when Gary Kubiak was brought here as an offensive advisor and assistant coach, that you and I talked a great deal about how there was a high likelihood Kirk Cousins would have his best year because Gary was here. And it came to fruition, all the things that we talked about last offseason. Uh, what do you think of now Kubiak sliding into the role that Kevin Stefanski had? I mean, I think their offense is going to be pretty much the same as it was last year, you know, in the sense of their basic setup. They'll have different plays and different things they do. They're, you know, Koobs is – people are always adding, you know, new things to the mix, and, and I think they'll actually – advance which is nice you know you only can do so many things in the first season of a certain style of offense Mm -hmm. this is this is really the first season of this style with the offensive line with the quarterbacks and you try to get good at things and you can't get good at everything right so you know you you have your basic fundamentals your basic plays you have a a little this a little that but you can't have too much because or else you'll get good at nothing Right, so yeah. the nice thing is they got good at a lot of things, um, and they now understand 
the details of not just the running game, but of screens. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if the Viking the Vikings had to be a top five screen team. I've, I've got a great stat for you on that. There, I knew you'd have when, it. <laughs> when Cousins was throwing behind the line of scrimmage, he averaged eight yards per an attempt. In 2018, it was about four and a half yards per attempt when throwing behind the line of scrimmage, which tells you a lot about the effectiveness of the screens. Screen game was huge. I still always go back to that Kansas City game when the Vikings lost, but uh, Dalvin Cook had 86 yards receiving, and he had 109 yards after catch. A go-ahead drive was entirely screens in that, that was game, incredible. late in the game. Yeah. So anyway, so they got better at screens, uh, but you know, could they get better at a you know tight end screen? Could they get better at maybe some of these other types of screens? Uh, uh, you, you know, with um, with, with uh, you know Smith Junior or Smith Junior, you know, a guy who can he could really do something. I think with if he got the ball in his hands, right? So you start adding more things to the mix. You know, obviously you have guys who are a little bit older, and, and that menu can grow a little bit. So they got good at a lot of things last year. I imagine Coops will add uh, his fair share of things to it. But at the end of the day, I think they'll have that, that, that same foundation, that same game plan. That's how they're going to try to win games. That's how they're going to try to win the Super Bowl. Are a lot of things we done this did they did this year, and they had obviously a ton of success this year, um, and they did a lot of a lot of good things. And there were some games where, you know, the offensive line, the running game, simply just won them football games. And uh, I, I imagine that's going to be their game plan going to next year as well. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you with Kubiak's offense going into a second year where they have complete understanding of the offense. They don't have to learn new terminology or anything else. This is It was Kubiak's offense with Stefanski, and it's going to be Kubiak's offense with him calling the plays, whether he's on the sideline or, or the booth uh, next year. But there were times, Sage, when opposing teams could beat your offensive line and entirely shut down this offense. And too many times it happened where the quarterback just did not perform anywhere near close enough to win games, including in the divisional playoff game against the San Francisco 49ers. Is there a particular area roster-wise where you look at it and say, well, you know what, this has to be better? Because from 2018 to 19, we said clearly, you need another receiver, you need another tight end, you need probably some help behind Delvin Cook at the running back, you need another offensive lineman. And they did all those things in the draft. Is there something else now that you look at in the offseason that because Kubiak is coming back, you say they have to have this? They have to make this particular move in order to stay where they're at or get better? I you know maybe a, a third receiver who is a little more dynamic. I mm-hmm. think they need some speed. You know, uh, Dalvin Cook's the fast guy, but. Other than that, I mean, Stephon Diggs obviously super fast, but I think they could use another really fast guy then open things up uh, for Stephon Diggs, for Thielen, for the tight ends. You know, I, I have no idea what they're going to do with the, the Rudolph situation. You might know more uh, than me if they think, you know, if you think he'll be back at his I th- salary. He will, yeah. I think he will be back for 2020. 2021 is up in the air, but at least in terms of the dead cap and, he and again, stuff, he's going to be back. Really, really good production, uh, you know, this year. He's so good inside the five, so good inside the 10 yard line. So there's real value there. I mean, that's a real thing. Some guys are good run blockers. Some guys are good out in the, you know, running the seam routes and things like that. And some guys, um, you know, or some guys are good in screens, but what, what he adds to the mix definitely brings in the red zone and inside the 10 definitely brings a lot of value. So uh, I think another receiver, a burner, obviously, 
issues with the offensive line, if they can somehow either add another starter and, and swap somebody out or, or two, I don't know, um, or at the minimum add some depth, they probably have some guys that they were developing last year. You know, sometimes you find, you know, we had a guy named Mike Brizel. No one's ever heard of that name if you're a Vikings fan, but <laughs> Boy, Mike Brizel. I, I don't even remember him. All right, so so Kubiak had this. We we kept we always would sign uh, Colorado State guys. Now it helped that uh, Kubiak's son or sons was playing football at CSU, but we always had like three or four or five on our roster. Uh, you know, all the time, and uh, we had a guy named Mike Brizel, and and Mike is from Arkansas. He shows up. He's on the. He makes the practice squad. He's one of those guys that was just you could just tell it meant everything to him, and he worked hard. He took it really seriously. He was super focused. He was, you know, he, he it just me- it meant a lot. And so when he was even on the practice squad, I was happy for him. Ah, good. He, that kid made the practice squad. That kid he wants to be an NFL player, and he was on the practice squad for uh, two two and a half years or something. Get gets called up finally uh, in a game that I'm starting. We actually had a guy go down, and rather than putting the backup up for the next game, they they brought up Mike Brizel from the practice squad. Anyway, long story short, Mike ends up having a really nice NFL career. Signed like a four-year, sixteen million dollar deal in 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 Oakland to sort of at the end of his career. But you know, had a nice career, and there's the real development there, and it didn't happen in the first year. So there might be some guys on this roster that they that we don't ever obviously talk about or really discuss. Sure, yeah. But I've also learned, you know, from Rick Dennison and and watch these guys do it this year, and they could next, you know, jump in the mix next year and and come out of nowhere. So it's not always drafting somebody. It's not always free agent. Sometimes it's hey, there's actually some guys in here who have been putting in some real work. You know, they've, yeah. they've been doing the Mamba. They've yes. been grinding yes. over here, trying to get their craft better from whatever they're coaching college to real NFL coaching. And sometimes those guys, uh, you know, they don't have certain things that they get passed over, whatever at the combine, you know, whatever it might be. But you know, they boom, they they work their way in. And and I feel like I was one of those guys in the sense of you know, I I, I don't think I was good enough to be an NFL quarterback from my first couple years in the league. But I really really worked at it. And finally, when I got my chance, luckily. I'd had a lot of a lot of practice time, a lot of a lot of uh, scout team time, a lot of training camp time, and my game had improved to a point where I could compete at the NFL level. Yeah, and there's guys on this roster too that, like you said, have a good chance to emerge. Uh, Mike Zimmer called it redshirting for some of the players, but someone like Drew Samia, who's a left guard, uh, I think Pat Elfline is probably not going to be back starting at left guard next year. So you might see someone like Samia go in there uh, with a lack of free agent money to spend and great free agents on the offensive line. They might need that type of development. There's also a receiver seventh rounder last year with a high ceiling Dylan Mitchell who they're bringing back. So it's a good point about this team seems to have a great knack for development. I'm curious, Sage, what you think Gary Kubiak coming back, if anything, could mean to the decision with Kirk Cousins. Because if anybody knows quarterback play in this world, it's Gary Kubiak. Yeah. And I'm you know, it's funny because you, you see the comments from Kyle Shanahan or Sean McVay, the guys who worked with Kirk Cousins early, and then Kevin Stefanski works with Kirk Cousins. And all these guys went on to get head coaching jobs after working with Cousins because I think a lot of times teams looked at him and say, well, you got a lot out of a quarterback who was a fourth-round pick, and Cousins got even better under Kevin Stefanski. But there's still a decision to be made on whether he's going to be worth paying 35 to $40 million a year on an extension. 
And if Gary Kubiak, if they have this plan to have Zimmer and Gary here for the foreseeable future and they sign them to extensions after a 10 and 6 year, if those guys are going to say, yeah, but could could Gary bootleg somebody else to this similar kind of production who might be able to run away from somebody also? You know what I mean? Yeah, like, no, I, I'm I really mean, that's... interested in how that impacts the decision on whether to sign Kirk Cousins. Yeah, so that's the thing is, you know, Kirk is such a executor, but when it, when things are there, the execution, more often than not, it does occur. You know, when the when the line does its job and he can go through his reads, uh, whether it's man, whether it's zone, cover two, whatever it might be, he can move through those reads and, and, and make accurate throws and usually doesn't make bad uh, decisions and those mm-hmm. types of things. The problem is the game is that's not the game though. Like this isn't seven on seven, right? And there's real problems up front sometimes. And you know we're lucky they didn't have very many injuries this year on the offensive line, right? Um, but uh, to to have you have coaching's hard when you never get bailed out, right? Yeah. Sometimes yeah. you know that's the thing about Kyle, and I think it, what, what that what those coaches do is they do a really good job of creating an offense. So the quarterbacks can just execute and not have to be, uh, uh, you know, magic makers all the time. Right. And I know sometimes when we'd be playing somebody and the quarterback would scramble around and make a whole bunch of plays, and it was you know, and Kyle would always be like, supposedly their coordinator is supposed to be like the hot coordinator. They're not doing anything special over there, <laughs> right? Um, you know, and I, I know I know this for a fact. Like you know, the Cleveland Browns this year, I, I did a little, I did a little Cleveland uh, when Stefanski got that that job. I was watching a little film the other day, uh, just watched a game, and but they, they weren't running anything. They had some some good uh, deep plays or whatever, uh, but they were just Baker Mayfield making making plays. There was nothing well designed. So you go, oh, you know, Freddie Kitchens, man, they had you know six big plays in this game. Well, like five of the six were just. Uh, the quarterback running around and hitting somebody, uh, mm-hmm. and, and throw, or, you know, or a receiver on a on a shallow route, just outrunning everybody for a fifty yard game. That's not like great. That's not great coordinating. Right? That's having great players that make the coordinator look look really good. Uh, and, and I think that's what you know. Kubiak does a really good job of design, and Kyle and, and Stefanski, all those guys do a really good job of making the quarterback look like he's a, a really really good player, and he's not going around and like doing what Baker Mayfield was doing. They do run good plays that get people open. Right. And and so the combination of that with somebody who is dynamic and special as a quarterback. So you're saying you take with, Teddy back. Well, I mean, yes, of course, because I think if you look at the way that Teddy was able to maneuver himself in the pocket and find extra time to throw the ball and his intermediate accuracy and his leadership and his gamer mentality, all those things. I mean, I think you're probably looking at a few of the games that they lost as being wins. Are you it, taking Are you taking Ryan Tannehill also? I think Tannehill is Kirk. I think he's a lot like him. I mean, he's a better athlete, of course. He used to play wide receiver. But I don't know if he does a whole lot off schedule that's special. He is willing to throw it into coverage. And that is the thing that... Would has would make someone hesitate who's a coach is exactly what you're talking about with going off schedule and making a special play where you go well uh, just how I drew it up over there right if you're the coach uh, I I drew up Pat Mahomes running down the sideline and trucking a safety for a touchdown that, that was that was the plan um, but it, it's it's kind of it's the combination of those things to have people who can throw into coverage when you're not supposed to but you make the play happen anyway and I I know we didn't get time to talk about Eli today. 
um, because I know that you played with him and have the greatest respect for him. But one of his great throws of all time is the sideline throw in the second Super Bowl. Mario Manham. Double coverage, and he just heaves it. And it's an amazing throw. I mean, it's one of the best throws I've ever seen. But it's a throw you're never told to make. Every so coach would say, don't way, throw that. I, I can tell you the, the exact play. Actually, I rewatched that the other day. You know, that was a straight go route versus cover two. And it really is like, no, you, the job of the defense is to take that away. Like, it, that, that they, they should never have happened. Yeah. The tight end to his side was blocking, right? So it's literally one receiver out there with, with a corner and a safety over top for help. So that, that never should have happened. But the way Eli occasionally was such a baller in a way where like he would break the rules sometimes. Yes. If he yeah. saw something, he it was he had a little street ball in him. And I know on the exact same on that exact play he goes, you know, that safety just didn't seem like he was getting much depth and I thought I could he didn't uh he wasn't getting his width or his depth or whatever and was just sort of backing up you know, sort of vertically and not going towards the sideline at all. He's like, I just sort of felt I can fit that ball in there. And literally, that play they had called, he should have been working to the other side. Yeah. It was yeah. like cover two, work to your right, single safety, work to your left. Or where he goes cover two, and he works to his left, and he fits that ball in there. But to add to that, what Eli had was the trust that the receivers, I shouldn't say, the, 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 other way around, the receivers knew Eli might be just crazy enough to throw. Right, so you better run the route. So you better run you know, like like you are the number one read, like because you never know, yeah. and th- th- there's a respect there that, to have receivers who 99 percent of the time you're not getting the ball, but they respected Eli so much that Marlon Manham was rolling down the sidelines and, and really yeah made. I mean, two of the greatest catches in Super Bowl history were in each one of those Super Bowls that Eli won versus the Patriots, right. and they were both off schedule or not exactly the play as it was drawn up. And if you're Kubiak and Zimmer and Rick Spielman and the people making this decision, I think you have to talk about that. Is okay, so Cousins is great and he could put up these great numbers, but could our system get us to a baseline and then somebody else take it to the next level? That's going to be the question they have to answer. And I think this is one of the most difficult quarterback decisions that any team in the NFL has to make in an offseason where it's going to be dominated by will Brady go play for the Chargers and will, you know, where's Teddy going to land and all that stuff. This is one that will get a little lost in the wash because he's not a free agent, but I think is a really, really difficult decision. Yeah, it's a, there's a quarterback decision thing going on, do, or do, do they extend him? You, you really have no idea what the Vikings are thinking. I think everyone's a little bit curious. Of course, they're going to say, you know, listen, he's got you know one of the top five quarterbacks in the league, you know, according to a lot of the, lot of the, the uh, statistics from last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we all know that's really not the case, right? So that's where the, the stats actually sort of lie to you yeah. a little bit. But as far as execution level, man, when things are there, he does a fantastic job. But almost every Super Bowl, when a team wins a Super Bowl, whether it's Patriots, Steelers, you know, whoever it is this year, somebody's going to have to make a play. Somebody's going to have to make a play, maybe not in the Super Bowl, but it might have been in the first round of the playoffs. It might have been a couple times in in some tight games during the year. Jimmy Garoppolo had four game-winning drives this year. Yep. There's a clutchness there. Uh, or make a play type of thing there. You don't want to rely on that to win your football games, but at some point your quarterback has to ma- really like make plays when the play shouldn't have been there. The play should have been over, should have been a sack, should have been a whatever, but they made something out of nothing. And 
you know, Kirk doesn't do that very well, right? Pat Mahomes does that all the time. I actually, I think Andy Reid's a great coach, but I don't think he does anything super special. He has some really neat little designs he does on occasion, but I think the best thing Andy Reid does is has a nice offense that has some really good principles, but always has a great offensive line because Andy Reid's like the offensive line guy. So when your quarterback is behind a great offensive line, they're naturally going to be better. And right. I think uh, you know Pat Mahomes, whenever things aren't great, Pat Mahomes sort of makes something out of nothing, right? So Kirk doesn't necessarily do that, and it's an interesting spot. Yeah, he's on a he's not a free agent. He has a one-year contract. It's basically a one-year deal. Should they extend him or should they not? And and uh, Or can they find somebody else out there that can be almost as good as him as far as the – sort of base concepts and and when somebody's open hit him to the like oh but it, but he also adds this other element to it where you know he can run a lot more in the red zone we can run more bootlegs with them uh and, and he can yet still do a lot of the, the good things that kirk cousins does uh it would be nice if the it's always nice having a, a quarterback that is a, a pretty good athlete that occasionally you can occasionally can get you some you know third and threes on a random scrambler or whatever mm-hmm. it might be we don't get a lot a lot of that out of kirk yeah and we will have plenty of time to talk about it and break it down as the offseason goes along on wednesday you and i are going to talk a lot of super bowl because you are in miami which is awesome and uh, i just want to say before we hit the break that i appreciate all of your very thoughtful comments on kobe bryant as well and uh if any you uh, if you missed the discussion then go back in the purple daily feed check it out it's the beginning of the show and uh, i just thought you did a great job so I appreciate your time, Sage. All right. Thank you, Matthew. And I'll talk to you on Wednesday. And Sage Rosenfels, our journeyman correspondent, corresponding from Miami, as he will do. So uh, we will talk to him Wednesday, and we'll be right back. And we will get together with Austin Gale from uh, Pro Football Focus, who is at the Senior Bowl. And we're going to talk with him about quarterbacks mostly and whether any of them would be interesting candidates for the Minnesota Vikings in the upcoming draft, who stood out and who the uh, most fascinating quarterbacks are. When we return, you'll listen to Purple Daily here on Score North. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. And now we welcome into the show from Pro Football Focus. He was at the Senior Bowl last week and also partly responsible for Pro Football Focus's amazing Senior Bowl guide, which uh, if there was not already a lot of reasons to sign up for Pro Football Focus, this thing comes along with it. And great detail, great graphics, comparisons, everything you could want. So make sure you go check that out. Uh, We welcome in Austin Gale. Austin, what's going on, man? Nothing much, dude. Just enjoying Mobile. I really appreciate the kind words on the draft guy. Yeah, for sure. And uh, at the very top, as it should be, are the quarterbacks. And this is a point of contention with Vikings fans, is whether we should actually be talking about quarterbacks in the draft. But when your quarterback's contract is up, and he hasn't really won anything since he's been here. Uh, you could look at this as sort of the Alex Smith situation in Kansas City, potentially, depending on what the Vikings want to do. So some very interesting quarterbacks here. We know that 
Tua is at the top. We know that Joe Burrow is at the top. But those guys, very unlikely to end up with the Vikings. So down the board a little, guys like Justin Herbert and someone who really pops out to me is Jalen Hurts. So let's start, let's start talking about Justin Herbert. The comparison in the draft guy, not to spoil anything, is Ryan Tannehill. I, I want to know what the buzz is at the Senior Bowl or was at the Senior Bowl about Justin Herbert because he's a big, giant guy with a big arm, which kind of scares me, Austin. Oftentimes that's like how guys end up being overrated. Yeah, no, I, I think there's a good chance Justin Herbert could come out of Mobile slightly overrated. This is where Justin Herbert will excel. He's six foot six, looks great in shorts, weighed in fantastic. He's bigger than Colin Johnson, the Texas receiver. Bigger, taller, and weighs more than Colin Johnson. This guy is a unit throwing on air. He looks fantastic. One of the best arms in this class. Great between the ears. He could break down a whiteboard for anybody here down in Mobile. He's a very smart player. The problem is all the concerns with Justin Herbert. Can he show up in big games? Can he really be a gamer in moments where you need him rise to the occasion? You're not going to answer those questions here in Mobile. You're not going to have an opportunity to see him in those things. And from the people I've talked to, both media and NFL guys, there's a chance Jordan Love, the Utah State kid that's down here, gets rated higher than Justin Herbert for some NFL teams. That's where we're at with him right now. There are legitimate concerns with what he can do in the big games against good defenses. And like Daniel Jeremiah has just Jordan Love over Herbert. Talking to some other guys, they have similar opinions. It's it's very interesting to see him kind of slide a little bit as people dive into the tape and see what he did against good defenses. So that's fascinating because that's like the Kirk Cousins conversation we have all the time is whether he could show up against good defenses and, and things like that. But something that's different from Justin Herbert to Kirk Cousins is the athleticism. And uh, in the Senior Bowl guide, you talk about how, yeah, he's not Cam Newton, but you could even use him on some designed runs. What is the, the pocket presence like for him? Like, what, what do you think that the issue is for his performances in those big games if he has all the tools that he's shown down in Mobile. I think it's decision-making in critical situations, those clutch moments where you can't afford to be a second late, where you can't afford to misread coverage. I think he starts to break down a little bit. That's what you see when some of his interceptions are head-scratchers. Like, why did you just throw it to the linebacker to his chest? Why did you <laughs> make that decision to pull the trigger? And with Justin Herbert, that, you know, that's a concern. Because like I said, the guy can make any throw on the football field. He has those special throws that get people's attention. The problem is they aren't consistent, especially in the fourth quarter of going against good defenses. I don't necessarily think it's pocket presence. I think you have to take advantage of his mobility at the next level if you really want to drive the most value out of this kid. You can't afford to just have him be a pocket passer. I think he's going to make mistakes that will have you kind of, kind of bite you in the butt down the road here. But I think if you use that mobility as a strength, you see running quarterback there, a ton of value. A colleague, Eric Eager, data scientist at PFF, wrote a really good piece about how the value of running quarterbacks makes your offense better. Justin Herbert could fit the bill. I know he doesn't, he's not the typical running quarterback. He doesn't do a ton of that at Oregon, but building an offense around his rushing ability a little bit, I think would make sense and help add value at his, uh, his position. Well, that's really interesting. So, so where do you think that he ends up? I mean, I know we've got a lot of time to go here in the combine and everything else, but he seems like a guy that could either go way too high because of his physical skills or because of these other questions about him end up as a second or third rounder. I am leaning way too high, 100%. All it takes is one team to mm-hmm. fall in love with a six foot six kid with really good hair and it's smart <laughs> on the whiteboard. And I think you have GMs in the league right now that are falling in love with this guy. There are GMs, maybe smarter GMs that are staying clear, but there are, there are GMs in the NFL. And 
other talent evaluators that will fall in love with this kid. Like I said, it only takes one team to be a reach. It takes a handful to be a fall and I, or, or a sleeper kind of fall there. But I think Justin Herbert's the guy that will go very high, especially because the quarterback position is so valuable. You have to trade up to get guys of the talent caliber of Justin Herbert. He's still a first-rounder on PFS board, but it's not a guy we'd feel comfortable taking a flyer on in the top 10 or maybe even the top 15. Hmm. You know, it sounds like the very typical third or fourth quarterback who gets drafted every year. And I went through the third and fourth quarterbacks that get picked, and maybe two out of every 10 end up being the guy that, that's good. And then you'll find a guy in every draft who's the third round or the fourth round of the Dak Prescott, the Kirk Cousins, if you will, the Russell Wilson, who ends up being really good. And I wonder if you think that Jalen Hurts might end up being that guy. I I know that uh, at Mobile he was asked already if he was willing to play running back or something. Like, uh, man, do we have to do this with every one of these guys? Um, but uh, <laughs> Jalen Hurts is a fascinating one to me, Austin, because I love his character and makeup. A guy who handled the situation in Alabama the way he did and then went to Oklahoma and just won and put himself in the Heisman conversation. I, I mean, I, I like a lot of things about him. What are the shortcomings that would hold him back from being a top prospect? There is a path to victory with Jalen Hurts in the NFL, and it's a very similar one to what Greg Roman has done with Tyrod Taylor in previous years, mm-hmm. and obviously Lamar Jackson now, a running quarterback that you need to create a ton of open throws for, lean on play action, lean on his rushing ability. Don't ask him to be a pocket passer. Don't ask him to make every throw on the football field. Limit what you do with him. There's a path to win with him, and for that reason, I think teams will really like Jalen Hurts, but there are also our teams that aren't willing to do what John Harbaugh and the Ravens did. It completely changed their offense to cater to a quarterback like Jalen Hurts, largely because he's not the same athlete as Lamar Jackson. I don't even think he's in the same conversation athletically as Lamar Jackson. Most for that reason, are. you don't. Yeah, well, most people are. Very good point. And I think with Jalen Hurts, there are concerns with accuracy, decision making. You know, there's some there's some setbacks. You, with that being said, again, you have to kind of change your offense to win with Jalen Hurts. It'll be interesting to see if some team takes a flyer. I think he could use a week, a year in the NFL in a great Roman-esque system to kind of get his feet wet. But I do think he can win in the NFL in the right system. Well, you know, and, th- and that's why I kind of am intrigued by Jalen Hurts because he seems like the exact type of guy who would be okay with sitting for a year if he had to, and then if you decided that you were going all in on him, kind of in the Kansas City way. And I know that some teams have done this and have it totally blow in their blow up in their face. So not always do you get Patrick Mahomes. But the Vikings are in that exact same situation. They have basically Alex Smith in Kirk Cousins, a guy who seems to get you only so far and put up really good numbers and be a likable guy and everything else, but not that dynamic player. So Hurts seems like the type of guy that you wouldn't have to spend a first-round pick necessarily on, but then you could start designing your offense in the future to hand the ball over from Cousins to Hurts if that would be the Vikings' plan. I kind of like it for him more than I would Justin Herbert. No, I would agree with that. I think for a team that knows they're going to be moving on from their quarterback in the next year or so that wants to kind of shift their offense more towards what Greg Roman does, I think you buy in to Jalen Hurts at a relatively discounted price. If quarterbacks, you either have to trade up for them in the first round or find a way to get them in the first round. But Hurts could slip to day two for the concerns with his state. And I think you get a guy like Hurts on day two and find ways to build an offense, both roster and schematically, to fit his skill set, I think you could win with him. 
talking senior bowl quarterbacks, and we'll get to some other positions as well with Austin Gale of Pro Football Focus, who was in Mobile. All right, let's talk about Jordan Love. I get these tweets literally every single day, and I'm sure you do too, Austin, about Jordan Love. He's giant, he's got a big arm, he's athletic, but I saw him play a couple of times this year, and maybe I just caught the wrong season for Jordan Love because his 2018 numbers are great. His 2019 numbers for a guy that's playing at Utah State are pretty bad, and it sort of just <laughs> set off those like Josh Allen, you know, lights and 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 uh, red flags and everything else. Is is that a bad comparison, Jordan Love and Josh Allen? No, I don't. I don't think so. I don't think you caught the wrong tape. I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, he's a guy that's been very inconsistent. From an ASCII standpoint here in Mobile, we grade every throw and chart every throw in the practices and in the game. He's been the least accurate quarterback here, throwing on air or throwing in one-on-one. Just, it's what we saw at Utah State. Inconsistent from an ASCII standpoint. Decision-making can be also inconsistent. He's a guy that's capable of making these beautiful throws that get cut up and put on Twitter. But he's also a guy that's capable of making bonehead decisions. Watch the LSU game this year. That was an opportunity for Jordan Love to cement himself in the first round of conversation, maybe top 15 conversation. That defense, though, put him in a blender. It was a very difficult defense for him to lead. Yes, he didn't have a great supporting cast at Utah State, but you got to rise to the occasion if yeah. you're going to be a first-round player. You have to rise to the occasion. I think Jordan Love needs a year, maybe two. Not necessarily to build an offense around him like Jalen Hurts, but to get him more consistent, more reps, and an experienced offense, better coaching, better mechanics, all of those things to really improve. Still a very raw prospect that needs to get better. I have kind of a, a really basic way of doing it, like spotting which guy could be the bust, which is if he didn't really accomplish anything all that special, it's hard for me to believe that he's going to go to the NFL and accomplish something all that special. Like Steve McNair is the all-time example of a guy who played for a small college but whooped everyone. I mean, he was like the best player ever. And I don't know. It just I never trust the guy that you're telling me, okay, he wasn't super special in college, but he will be against much, much harder competition in a much more complicated atmosphere, that's a tough buy. Is, is there any other quarterback at the Senior Bowl who stuck out at all? I know in the Senior uh, senior Bowl draft guide, one guy is compared to Davis Webb, another to Josh McCown. So that doesn't exactly like really ignite my interest. But did anybody catch your eye for quarterbacks? Can't, I, I can't believe you're not bringing up Anthony Gordon. We compared him to Kirk Cousins in the Senior Bowl draft guide. He's been kind of honestly pretty good here in Mobile, consistent from an action standpoint, great in the team drills, quick decision maker, knows how to run an offense at so many reps in the Washington State offense with Mike Leach. I'll tell you what, though, he can't get through an interview without talking about Gardner Minshew. Every single person mm. here wants him to talk about Gardner Minshew, but <laughs> I think we need to start talking. I think every- I think we need to start talking about Anthony Gordon. I mean, this kid, not a guy that's probably going to go maybe even day day one or day two, but I think he has some traits that you can kind of fall in love with. You have to learn a new offense. You have to teach him more of a pro-style type of concept. But there's so many reps throwing the football, throwing the football downfield. Doesn't have the same accuracy as Gardner Minshew, but a little bit of a better arm. And I think the decision-making is definitely there. Well, it is. Uh, it does stand out when someone threw for 5,500 yards in a college season. Um, but you, you just always have trouble differentiating, like how much is it the system that every quarterback there seems to throw for a billion yards, right? Yeah, no, you have to kind of separate the system. Just look at the throws. They throw 10 to 15, you know, 10 to 20 yards down the football field, not a ton, a lot of screens, a lot of quick passing. But the fortunate thing with PFF, we have you know tools in place where we can just watch 
every Anthony Gordon throw 10-plus yards down the mm-hmm. field, when pressured, when not pressured. And when you put that tape side-by-side side with other guys, even guys in pro-style offenses, Gordon pops off a little bit. I was talking to Steve Palzolo, a colleague at PSF. He's like, hey, I kind of like this kid. And I keep hearing that. I keep hearing, hey, I kind of like Anthony Gordon. I think that's going to build a little bit snowball into people really liking Anthony Gordon. Well, if you can run a play-action pass and throw the ball down the field, you can be Kirk Cousins in the Gary Kubiak offense. We definitely <laughs> know that. All right, let me let me ask you about just in terms of the strength of different positions, there are a lot of different ways the Vikings could go. They could move on from Riley Reef and draft a left tackle. Seems like there's some offensive linemen who have been getting some buzz in Mobile, but also cornerbacks. The Vikings might not have any. <laughs> I mean, they could move on from Trey Waynes, Mackenzie Alexander, and Xavier Rhodes all in the same offense offseason so so between offensive line cornerback and let's say interior defensive line was there one of those positions that stuck out to you as being the strongest of those three potential vikings needs yeah i think here in mobile the cornerback group is not great the best is probably troy pride jr of notre dame former track star probably going to run in low four threes he's been sticky in man coverage, very good at the line of scrimmage, patient when he shoots his hands, and at the catch point, it's been a lot better than what we saw at Notre Dame. I think he's been the kind of the crown jewel of the cornerback group here in Mobile. Offensive tackle, I mean, PFF's in love with Josh Jones. We don't care how long his arms are; it's a little over 32 inches. I know 33 is that benchmark, but this kid's a, this kid's a stud. I mean, seeing him against Power Five competition, he's bullying some kids out here in Mobile. I think he's going to be a player at the next level. And interior defensive line. Again, not a great group outside of Javon Kinlaw, the monster of South Carolina, six foot five, three fifteen, thirty four, thirty five inch arms. This guy's very, very special athletically and also from a size standpoint. And Marlon Davidson, the Auburn edge defender, converted into your defensive lineman. This guy came out in short shorts on the Tuesday practice <laughs> and lit it on fire. Got injured or kind of sat out. He's sitting out the rest of the week, but I don't think he really needed to suit up the rest of the week. Guy was bullying kids. On day one, I think it's smart of him to play it safe. Immediately shows confidence to come out in short shorts. Um, so who is, every year there's a wide receiver that comes out in the Senior Bowl and no one's really talking about that person in terms of the draft buzz and then they light it on fire, they run routes that make wide receivers or that make cornerbacks fall over and we all see the highlights on Twitter. Uh, it was Cooper Cup a few years ago. Everyone went, oh, okay, I think this guy can play after what they saw at the Senior Bowl week. Who is that wide receiver this year? I've got two names. First one, smaller kid out of Ohio State, KJ Hill. Destined to play in the slot the next level. I think it's just over five foot ten, but dude's running routes like a dream. Hasn't lost a rep, I would say. Beating press coverage as a primary slot receiver is rare. He came out and did that. Had an opportunity to interview him after the first practice before I gave him to answer a question. He's like, dude, I was good at the one on ones. I'm like, Yes, you were good in the one on ones. You're burning kids alive. <laughs> and the other guy is Denzel Mims of Baylor, a bigger dude, I think six foot two, a little over two hundred pounds. So explosive. Limited route tree at Baylor, but he's cutting a rug out here. Really crafty, great in contested catch situations, attacks the ball in the air, advanced route running ability, uses his hands well at the line of scrimmage and at the route stem. I really do think he's riding that board as well. So how much um, does it change things after Mobile in the draft guide for PFF? Like how much extra going back through everything do you have to do to change your opinions on guys after seeing them up close? Yeah, I, I think a lot a lot changes. I mean, some guys will stay the same, but like a guy like Jonah Jackson, 
of Ohio State interior offensive lineman has been honestly fantastic here. Guy's got built like he's got a mini fridge tucked under his shoulder pads <laughs> up top, but like he his balance is insane. He's very he's very good in these pass protection drills. I think he's a guy that can rise up. And he came into the senior bowl number thirty nine on PFS draft board. Other guys will rise up as well. And the draft guide iteration we had another 100 players come in February 24th and maybe another 50, 50, 100 players in the March version. And we continue to add players, continue to add it to our evaluation. Combine numbers, senior bowl grading. This evaluation process goes deep, pro day stuff. But we're really excited with this first group and excited to get the underclassmen. The underclassmen in this class are pretty fantastic. Well, make sure you follow Austin on Twitter at PFF underscore Austin Gale. That is G-A-Y-L-E. Absolutely great stuff, and a reason alone to sign up for PFF is to just get uh, the draft guide stuff. It is outstanding. So, Austin, I really appreciate your time. Uh, I hope you uh, enjoyed a little bit of uh, maybe warmer weather than Cincinnati while you were down in Mobile, Alabama, and I hope to uh, catch up with you again soon, man. Thanks. Of course. Thank you. And by the way, should mention that we are going to have all sorts of Pro Football Focus guests this week. Uh, we're going to have George Shahuri twice. He is on their PFF Forecast podcast. And on Wednesday, we will have both Steve Palazzolo and Sam Monson. They are all in Miami, and we're going to be talking a lot of uh, Super Bowl with each of them. So I'm excited about that. And it's just been I, just a really great relationship that we've had with Pro Football Focus. And uh, I have been invited to come down to Cincinnati again later Whoa. in the summer. Here we go. Yeah, well, like like we did last summer where I went down and broadcasted mm-hmm. from their office and met Chris Collinsworth and everything else. That was really cool. So I'm going to be able to do that again. And when I went there, Collinsworth was having dental work done and couldn't do an interview for the show. So maybe this next time I'll ask if his teeth are all right <laughs> and if we can get him on for the show. So we'll give that a try uh, maybe next time. Real quick, before Judd Zolgad comes in here, we're going to talk a lot about Gary Kubiak is officially the offensive coordinator of the Minnesota Vikings. They've also made other changes, one of them being that they have co-defensive coordinators now, and it's going to be Andre Patterson and Adam Zimmer, which I don't really know what to say about that. Uh, Mike Zimmer is in charge of the defense, but will he hand over play calling to someone else? Or how is he going to distribute what the defensive coordinator does? And how is this different slash better than having George Edwards? Like, why didn't they retain Edwards? Did he want to leave? Because he's becoming an assistant coach for the uh, Dallas Cowboys. taking a step down. Sort of. But I think he's... (laughs) I mean, I, I don't really know. Some of these like labels are weird. It's like George took the Gary Kubiak sort of job for the Dallas Cowboys defense. I think he's like assistant coach defense and working with linebackers or something. It's very hard to figure these out. They're very convoluted now because, uh, you know what's actually happening, Jonathan, is my plan for every player to have his own coach <laughs> Is almost come to fruition. Because there's no salary cap on coaches. Hire as many as you want. Hire a coach for every single player. So Alexander Hollins has a coach. You're the Alexander Hollins coach. You've been hired to coach only Alexander Hollins. And when someone gets hurt, you're just fired. It's like actors who have assistants. Yeah, that's right. Every player has an assistant. You coach him. So I don't know how defensive coordinators, co-defensive coordinators, is exactly going to work. Uh, Andrew Janoko, who they've liked for a long time, is now the receivers coach, which means Drew Petzing must be on his way to join Kevin Stefanski in Cleveland. 
And that one is interesting because they just hired a general manager who's 32 years old and big time into analytics. So they're going back that route again. So they had the analytics route, and they did exactly what the numbers say you should do. They tanked for two years, lost a bleep ton of games, drafted a bunch of good players, traded picks for talent, and then got rid of the general manager who was in charge of that, brought in another one. And then he did a good job getting other players like Odell Beckham and Sheldon Richardson and so forth, Olivier Vernon. And then they got rid of him because they hired a dopey coach in Freddie Kitchens. I was trying to think of a polite way to say that, but I couldn't find one. So uh, now they're going back the other way, though. So, so Dorsey is gone, and now it's we got another guy who's going to be analytics and work with Stefanski. Drew Petzing, I was very impressed by him. I think he's going to end up being their quarterback coach in Cleveland, which if you're him, you have to take. It's a big step up from receiver to quarterback coach. So that's kind of where we're at. Coobs is back. And is this a good thing for the Vikings? Should they have gone a different direction after having a very good year? Is it right to stick with Kubiak? And how do we think Gary Kubiak views the Kirk Cousins extension potential and the Delvin Cook potential contract extension? We will discuss with Judd Zolgad when we return. you listen to Purple Daily on Score North. Jonathan here with the Score North download. We'll get you back to Purple Daily in just a moment here. But obviously the story of the day has been the tragic passing of Kobe Bryant and eight, other, and eight others, including his 13-year-old daughter, Gianna, yesterday. Daniil Hunter, who played in yesterday's Pro Bowl, talked about how the NFC locker room found out about the news. Here's what he said. I was just very respectful. You know, a lot of respect to the man. And I remember we were in the, we were in the locker room, and we were, we were getting ourselves ready. We were, we were dancing to some music when we found out about it, and then everybody just stopped. And everybody just went to their lockers and just sat down. You know, it, was just, it was just crazy. We'll have more on Kobe Bryant in just a moment on Mackie and Judd with Rami. But first, we'll get you back to Purple Daily. That's been your Score North download. Thank you, Jonathan. Back here on Purple Daily, Matthew Collar, Judd Zolgad joining me in studio now. It's official, Judd. Gary. Gary. Gary Kubiak is the offensive coordinator. I'll tell you the reason it is exciting is because Gary is just great to talk to. I got the podium. He's just such you know, you're right. an old, I'm gonna wily give you this. veteran. I think you're right. And my favorite part of talking with him when he's at the podium is that he gets what you're asking quickly, uh-huh. and we'll just start talking once he's got it. He doesn't need you to finish the question. <laughs> which I is like those guys. Super admirable. Because, you know, sometimes people will ramble a little bit or whatever, and you've got the point, and Gary will just break right in. And then he's got so many. I like that. He's got so many great stories, and he also figures out how to give you something that you were looking for without giving you everything that you want to know. Mm-hmm. So if you were asking him, "Hey, Gare Bear, how do you feel about?" Well, um, I wouldn't call him Gare Bear, but I, I'm going to give it a shot. Uh, how do you feel about? Um, you know, this is just an aside. Yeah, Gary has less gray hair than I do, and he's like 65. And it's one of the things I love about. But you know what? You know (laughs) what Gary is from his time on the farm. He's Robert Redford windswept. He's he's weather beaten. Yeah, he's got the weathered face, (laughs) the leather deal. Redford's got that going for him too. That's a lot of time on a farm. Everything about Gary is just like NFL music behind it. Yeah, like Jonathan, can you just play some NFL music while we talk about Gary? Because it's like he's working for the '90s Broncos, the '90s Broncos. 
Led by John Elway with a new offensive scheme run by Gary Kubiak. And he was Elway's backup quarterback back in the days of neck rolls and big shoulder pads. It's so great. Carrying on the legacy of Bill Walsh's West Coast offense. Yeah. <laughs> so good. I know. Um, You're right. So uh, with, with Kubiak, you don't have to play NFL music the whole time, though it's not a problem if you do. Um, <laughs> the whole show should just be a bed of music. It's What I love about him, though, is that you get the sense from what when he's talking to you. He's just done this so many times at the podium that he's so comfortable with like giving you an idea of what's going on mm-hmm. without insulting anyone or giving up too many details that might be problematic if you put them out there. So a good example is last year when we asked about Irv Smith. Well, how's Irv Smith coming along? We know that the tight end position is pretty tough for rookies. And he said, well, you know, he's coming along really well, but he's swimming a little bit, and we're, we're getting him to figure it out and that sort of thing. So it gave you the sense that, yes, Irv Smith is in over his head as a rookie tight end with lots of responsibilities, but they feel like he's handling it pretty well. And that's what came to fruition, was that he grew pretty quickly, and he, and he turned out to be uh, a, a really good, effective contributor in year one for a tight end, which doesn't really happen that often. Mm-hmm. And I believe as far as rookie tight ends, he was the highest rated by pro football focus and among the highest rated, even in blocking of all the rookie tight ends in the NFL. So it's like, yeah, you gave us something to work with something to be able to tell the uh, interested public what's going on with their second round draft pick without insulting anyone. And he just has a great sense for that. Having somebody around who has been through so much in the NFL as Gary, just for me, loving the history of the NFL and all that stuff is sort of fun. Well, think like, about what Gary's Gar- here. Think about what Gary's seen. <laughs> I know. Just as far as, in fact, I'm, I'm going to call Zimmer- up his pro football reference page. Because if you go back to what Gary has seen and absorbed. It's amazing. It's great. And Zimmer loves this, too. So yes. Zimmer loves going and saying, like, tell me a story, Gary. And and, and I can relate to that because I just want him then, to be at the podium telling stories about John And then they conference in Bill Parcells. I know. Bill, it's tell just, us more football stories. So with, I mean, with Gary here, we made the jokes last year about, like, what does Gary do? Like, we don't know. We don't know how he got here, and we don't know what he does. Well, now we do. He's the offensive coordinator. Still don't know exactly how he got here. But uh, having him as your O.C., in the past, has meant really good things for your quarterback. And he comes here this year, and he works with Kevin Stefanski, and Kirk Cousins is his highest PFF grade, his highest quarterback rating, Mm -hmm. tied for his highest yards per attempt, and won a playoff game on a game-winning drive. Mm -hmm. Those were all things that uh, you could look at and say, wow, okay, so Gary Kubiak and Stefanski, but using Kubiak's offense, had a really positive impact on Kirk Cousins. Now, here's what I would love to know, is what did Gary learn from Kevin Stefanski about how sort of modern things are done? How much does he want to run the football? Like, if Mike Zimmer says to Stefanski, you better run the football, like, he's still sort of talking down to a guy who's younger than him. Right. And as was with Filippo, it was pretty clear that he was willing to say those things out loud, even in the media at times, when he didn't like what the offensive coordinator was doing. Well, now it's Gary. So Gary can do what Gary wants, right? He's not going to get any... Right. You know. And Mike didn't say much uh, that that would have crossed Stefanski, I don't think, this past year, too, no, no, no. because it was Gary. Right. It was Gary saying, hey, this is what we should do. And I right. look, I've 
continually said this, but I think Kevin deserves credit. Kevin did a very nice job. Oh, definitely. But he also did a very n- nice job of operating within the parameters of a guy who is probably a GOAT coordinator, right? Yeah. Yes, I mean, Gary is. Definitely. Gary and and um, Cousins' successes probably were uh, spurred on by the fact that he had a guy who understood how probably you can make Kirk as comfortable as possible the majority of the time. Right. And with the bootlegs and the play actions and the rollouts, like they really got it. Like when Sage and I were doing our podcast versions only in 2018, we were watching the tape and going back and saying, gosh, why is he just shotgun all the time? Like, this is not what this guy does really well. And he would have his moments, but then he would have other moments where it just wasn't really working for him. And there were far too many interceptions and strip sacks and turnovers. And Kubiak made it very simple for Kirk Cousins. We're trying to take the football and launch it down the field to Stephon Diggs after we fool those pesky linebackers and safeties. And that's our goal. And that's what we're going to do here. And... It really worked. He was one of the top deep passers in the NFL, one of the top clean pocket passers in the NFL, like just on and on and on. And rolling him away helped a lot to get him more time to throw the football. He's got to hold on to it either way, so you need to find a way to get him some extra space to throw it with an offensive line that isn't unbelievable. So he took this quarterback who is very talented but has these glaring weaknesses and painted over enough of those weaknesses Mm -hmm. to have a very good season. My question is not so much about whether you could do it again, because I think you can. I think you could be ballpark top 10 offense, probably not number one, probably not number 20. Somewhere in between there, health might make a difference. Who you play will make a difference. Let's say you're 12th. You drop off just a little bit. Since it was a career high, it's hard to repeat. Let's say you're 12th in offense. Mm -hmm. That's going to get you in the conversation for the NFC North, assuming that you have a good defense again and everything else. My question isn't so much about what you can do with Cousins, with Gary It's more of, let's say it's not at the podium. Let's say it's at the saloon, and you sit down next to Gary. and I love the old saloon. And he orders no ice in his drink. Comes through those swinging gate doors. And I've got my Diet Dr. Pepper, and I'm sipping on it. And I say, Gary, just between you and me. Yeah. You guys, you know, do you want to extend Kirk? Do you, do you, Gary Kubiak, are you going to go into that room when you guys have that big meeting? Yep. And are you going to say... This is my quarterback. This is my guy. I know we can win a Super Bowl with him. Or are you going to say, I turned Jake Plummer into a pretty good quarterback. I turned Brian Greasy into a pretty good quarterback. Joe Flacco had one of his best years ever in 2014 with Kubiak. I turned Matt Schaub into a damn star. No, we don't need to pay $35 million. I got the scheme. I'll put our floor at this. You just give me someone who's a little dynamic, and we can take this offense to the next level and be a legit Super Bowl team. Or does he say, hey, this guy throws the ball down the field. That's what I want. He can execute what I need him to execute, so he's my quarterback. Which way do you think Gary would go? Oh, I think Gary, if if Gary thinks that there is time to do it, would go go door one in a second. I think he would say... My system works. I know it, it works. Um, to your point about what Gary might have learned from Stefanski, here's my question. And, and Sage brought this up in his appearance on the afternoon show last Thursday, and it's a really good one. What is Gary going to learn by studying Kyle Shanahan and that film, too? Because yeah. that's basically his offense, yep. but it's being morphed by, I think, what, what is probably a an, an young offensive genius right now. 
And so there's things to steal there. But to answer your question, in the saloon with his cowboy hat and and a stick of hay in his mouth, I think Gary <laughs> would pull the cowboy hat down and say, "Listen, partner, I can I can take any quarterback." I, and just because, like building the fence. But but here but here's the other thing that I don't think we talk with enough no about. Gloves. Oh no! Are you kidding? Bare hands to build that. What, fence. what type of man needs gloves? Yeah, you're right. Um, but the one thing that I don't think that we take this conversation far enough to about the 2019. Vikings and a lot of the success that they had, Gary also made that run game and that zone blocking scheme work yes. with, with an offensive line. That, let's be candid about this. Still was not great. They had a great run package. That right. They, but that's what, but he, yeah. but he did that yep. with some help. My point being is I think Gary thinks his system just works. And I think if he continues to update it, he's probably right. Might not win your Super Bowl, but I think it works. Well, that's another question that I have is how much Gary Kubiak plans to you know, keep it modern because I thought that that was the brilliance of last year with Stefanski was Kevin is super detailed and studies everything and knows all the numbers and knows all the other innovative things that other teams are doing, and he implemented a lot of them. I mean, this is a thing where I would see people, and it's just a generic sort of random criticism that would say, we need more creativity in this offense. And the thing was that by the numbers, it's one of the most creative offenses in the league. When you look at simply the way they used personnel, if you were going into a game as an opposing defense against the Minnesota Vikings, you had a completely different set of problems than almost any other team caused you by just the way they use personnel alone, which using the fullback, which, of course, Kyle Shanahan does a lot, mm-hmm. using the two tight ends, using three tight ends, using the play action at the highest percentage of anybody except for Baltimore and maybe Kansas City, which, of course, two of the best coaches using play action all the time. So you have a different set of problems just the way they use their personnel than you would have on a week-to-week basis. And a different set of problems in a multifaceted run game, which is exactly what San Francisco has, where it's, yeah, it's the zone stuff, but it's not the Gary Kubiak 99 Broncos just running these zone left, zone right, zone left. Which are fun to watch, by the way. But it's a lot of creativity. It's a lot of power and gap scheme mixed in and and motions and all sorts of things that all the modern teams are using uh, on almost every single play and formationally and everything else and uh, their answers to problems that defenses present. So I thought that the Stefanski-Kubiak relationship was a great one of a younger guy who's dialed in with an older guy whose offense just freaking works no Mm -hmm. matter who is is put into it. Mm -hmm. And part of the question here is how long everybody thinks they're going to work here isn't it absolutely i mean and that's a huge that's huge because if you're told hey you know what you got three four years left right then you might say okay kirk has 2020 and then kirk's gone but if you're told this is all predicated on one thing your success in 2020 then you're like whoa okay changes the, the entire dynamic now if you're gary I don't know how much you care because you know what you do can be successful, right? Yep. So I don't think that that, that you take that as a death knell, but I think you're 1,000% right. That's going to influence the conversations and, hey, let's look at 2023 or 2022 right. versus I might be gone by then, so I've got cousins and in Gary's world, I'll make do. When you hire Gary and you've got Zimmer as your head coach, you're all in all the time. So that means that... I think a cousin's extension becomes much more likely. If it was a new coach with a new plan, 
you might be saying, well, you know, okay, well, let's look at 2022. Let's try to compete. You got a lot of talent on this roster. So let's try to win a division and let's go forward. But let's look at 2021, 2022. Let's try to draft a quarterback to have him develop behind Cousins, hand it over to him. Let's rework the corners. We'll, we'll draft some guys. We'll develop some guys at these different positions and try to retool and reload from what we lost from, obviously, I think Rhodes is gone, but really good chance that Waynes is gone, really good chance Alexander, and even Anthony Harris, very possible that he makes 15 mil on the free agent market and he's just, you know, not coming back here. So you've got to reload. And how about Everson Griffin? If he ends up gone, then you've got to reload that spot as well. So if you were looking at it as, let's try to compete, and then let's treat the quarterback position like we're reloading for 2021-2022, you probably would have moved on from Zimmer, right? I mean, wouldn't you have said, let's get... I can't you know, decide on these guys let's, right now. Let's give Stefanski the job and move on from Zimmer. Like, let's get a new general manager but, to But the to Wilfs listen to this, Rick right? so much, and is Rick telling them, hey, I still like Mike? It's so, it's so tricky right now, and until we start to see some of the moves that are made to tell who is telling whom what, yeah, and who is convincing whom. And listen, like it or not... Unless you've seen something to the contrary in the last six months, it's always been my observation that the Wolves, Mark and Ziggy, really like Rick. And they really trust Rick. And Rick is their football guy. And so I don't know that Rick is going to say, well, I'm going to fire the coach that I hired to hire Stefanski. And by the way, that is dicey, too. You know, Kevin, I like him, but if he's a head coach in charge of the entire roster, that dynamic changes quickly there. So... That's why I think the coming months are, are so intriguing to me, because I can't tell who's on what page yet. No, I can't either. And it's very possible that they would go to Gary and Zimmer and Rick and say, look, you guys do what you got to do to make our team a Super Bowl contender, not a divisional round contender, not, hey, maybe we'll win the North if the Packers aren't great, uh, but a legit, we can actually win the Super Bowl. So start there, and we're going to give you all extensions, or Gary gets a couple-year contract, so you feel like you've got some security here. If we dip back down next year, you're not all fired. So you can think in the future. Because I was looking at free agent markets just when I was doing the defensive line and cornerbacks, and there's money to be spent But it's always risky when you dip into free agency. We've seen them do this on the offensive line from time to time, where they spend a bunch of money on this guy or that guy, and it's just, you know, well, there's a reason that somebody else let him become a free agent. Absolutely. It's it's been shown that a lot of times the teams that spend the most in free agency, and this isn't always true because the Eagles did this a few years ago with their rookie quarterback contract, Mm -hmm. but a lot of times teams that desperately spend to fill a bunch of spots end up overspending, paying for bad contracts, and not fulfilling their expectations. The the prudent move, I think, would be to try to fill those spots with under-the-radar guys and draft picks and development players like Holton Hill, start him next year. Yeah, Make him your outside corner. And if it doesn't work out, then you know it's not going to work out. Right. But if it does, then you've got an outside corner who's undrafted. Hughes, Absolutely. of course, has to play. Absolutely. And you draft another corner. And but you that draft is, another three-tech But can you go to Mike and say that? Because that's... that's no, been, I don't think My so. theory has been, what year are they going to go to Mike and say, Mike, you're a defensive savant. Therefore, you're going to lose guys. But you're in a position, and you're good enough defensive coach, and your staff is good enough to develop the guys behind them. Yeah. And that's... Uh, 
to a certain degree, what I expected after 2018 into 19, right? Anthony Barr's gone, but you can develop guys. And it didn't happen. Griffin comes back. All those guys come back. And so is this the year that, that Brzezinski and Spielman go to Mike and say, Mike, we can't afford everybody back. And the other question, too, is, is Brzezinski going to go to these guys and say, I can do a Cousins extension that's going to free up cap space for 2020. I mean, good luck with that. And there, and I personally would not do that. But that is a but if if the plan is all in again to free up cap space, you could do that. Personally, I would not. Yeah, that, you know, that would not be it, my answer. You know what it feels like? It feels like when you are getting ready for Christmas that this has been the Vikings over the last few years, and you're on Amazon, maybe you even have Prime, and you're just buying stuff. And you got your credit card there. Sounds and it, like my wife, yeah. It is a great day because yep. you know all that stuff's going to come and the presents come. Boxes start to whatever else. accumulate in front of your door. And then, the middle of January, you get that bill. And you go, well, okay, what do I do now? And you got to return some stuff. That's how it feels a little bit with this team yeah. where they just kept writing the checks or yes. just kept charging it with, okay, Brzezinski will fix this, Brzezinski will fix that. But eventually you get to the point where, yes, you can get under the salary cap, but you can't keep everybody again, even just because of age and performance. You can't keep Xavier Rhodes because of age and performance. And even Everson Griffin, I had a chart in my article about the defensive line, second half of the season for the second straight year, a pretty big dip off in his pro football focus grades. Like that's in a way the check coming or the bill coming for you is, well, these guys who are superstars are just not in their prime anymore, so you have to do something. It's whether you try to go out and get other free agents in their prime and overpay them, and you get in bidding wars with other teams with every last cent that you have, or if you're going to take the approach of, well, maybe, look, we're going to have to go with those development players, and maybe we're going to have to win some shootouts, which I think that they can with their offense, um, the Kirk Cousins sixty-eight is, to forty. But is the coach willing to jettison the guys he he likes? And here, here's my question: I think that he's open to it. At very do least. you do you think Rhodes specifically? Do you think from the head coach to his people, a lesson was learned there? Because you and I watched games in 2018, and we both said, "Oh yep. boy, there's a dip." Yep, we knew and, that was a problem. And it, but that's the Patriots thing: where if they see that, you're done. Yep. 2019, you're playing for Pittsburgh or something. Do you think that that there was a lesson learned there? Because, you know, Rhodes, to me, in 2017 was magnificent. 18, he had one foot on the ground and one off the cliff. And you're thinking to yourself, this is probably a good time to say, love you, but you're gone. Yep. And their loyalty brought him back. Is this going to cause a bit of a shift from them philosophically to say, being loyal is a really, really great thing? But you didn't get even close to what you thought you were going to in 2019. And if they had called you in last March and said, Matthew, sit down. What do you think of Rose? I think you would have said, I don't think he's worth this now. And I'm talking about a year ago. Yeah. Well, and even, you know, there's another way to look at that, too, is even with Everson Griffin, who was pretty good in the first half of the season, maybe even really good, and played pretty well in the one playoff game against the Saints. What he gave you versus what a combination of Stephen Weatherly, Afadi Adenabo, and, I don't know, Gerald McCoy, which you could have signed in the free agent market, or Indomitian Sue, who you could have signed in the free agent market, or something like that. Like, 
was that worth it? Or Roger Saffold and put him at left guard? Could you have outbid the Titans who used that offensive line to get themselves to the championship game in part and great play by Ryan Tannehill? Or was Barr that good? That's another question. Yeah, I mean that that's the thing is if they had asked me in March I would have said I I'd like to see Golden Tate as the number 3 receiver here or something. You know that right. there would have been a lot of different approaches just based on positional value, but I think what last offseason told us was at least until then Mike Zimmer was in charge of the roster. He was given the grocery list and the front office was getting the groceries for him. What I want to know is is that still the case? If they get together and have all these meetings, who is the one that has the final sign-off? Is it still Mike Zimmer after, I wouldn't say a lot of mistakes were made. Griffin was still good. Kyle Rudolph was solid for the money they gave him and gave them a two-tight-end look, which helped them a lot. So bringing back certain players that Zimmer has always liked wasn't a disaster. But now you got a $15 million cap hit for Anthony Barr that you've got to be looking at going, what the hell do we do with this? And Harris is going to get paid huge, and I don't think that you can afford to pay him. And that's kind of my point, is if you go to Mike Zimmer and say, all right, which which of these guys are getting paid? Is he going to tell you, yeah, you got to bring back Trey Waynes because I can get him to turn his head around on the ball? Or, or you gotta you got to bring back Mackenzie Alexander because I need my nickel corner? Like, these wouldn't be good moves. Right. So... Uh, is he going to love the fact that they drafted and developed these guys and want to keep them and overspend and leave the offense where it is, where you end up 15th in the league in offense? And You know who's not going to seven. like that scenario? And he shouldn't? Gary. Gary. What you have to say is, will Gary go to Mike in the saloon and be like, listen, partner, here's what we're going to do. Gary. We're going to get more offense. Uh, tomorrow, by the way, the biggest Gary Kubiak enthusiast... In the market, Courtney Cronin will be on. And okay. uh, also, Very nice. we will debut Courtney, our draft scout, because she was at the Senior Bowl. Nothing so, more exciting than the Senior Bowl. I know. I tell you what, that's journalism at its finest. We've got a lot to get into there. So uh, we will have coverage, uh, as always, and whenever they introduce Gary Kubiak, we'll talk about it more. So Purple Daily, we'll catch you tomorrow here on Score North. Mackie and Judd with Rami coming up next. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, bet online for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online where the game starts.